me tell you, that is not what Jeff told, told, taught us to do. Jeff taught us to go for the kill. <laughs> I don't think we like <laughs> using that, that sort of violent There's language. Um, then you wouldn't allow them to morally you then say what we've done perfectly within the, perfect within the laws. I get rid perfectly of Perfectly within the laws. I, w- so I would... not broken any law, have they doing what they've done? I would send a guideline around the clubs to say that you do not put the ball out for injuries. That that is not what happens. And that if a player... And that when the ball goes out, because, because as Steve says, because the injuries are so rarely mm. serious, that for the referee stops it for a head injury, or the referee blows the whistle if he suspects a serious injury yeah. to the player. But the, I would send something out around the club, or every club, and some way to convey that to the fans to say, this is something we are taking away from the players. Mm. And, and players will adapt. If there is something in place to say you do not put the ball out of play for an injury, then players will only stay down if they're genuinely injured because yeah. otherwise they will know that they're putting their side Some of them will still do it on, on instinct. Some of them will just yeah, not possibly, ball out of yeah. play, but then that's fine. Well, look, but also sometimes them. players get tackled and it hurts. And then they stay down for a bit because they're in pain. We've all played football. Well, that's what happens. When I tackled you, you certainly felt it. Oh, yeah. Oh, is yeah. that because it was waist high with studs showing? <laughs> no, no, it was a very clean challenge. Played the ball, but took a, a chunk of the man as well. Don't but ask he, Paul Pesky Salido that question. Yeah, well, yeah, we've seen that. that really play the ball. The ball was about eight feet away from me. <laughs> but most of the time now, it's just a, it's a time wasting technique, yeah. and they, everyone knows it's a time wasting technique, which is why the fans boo it. It's why the players do it so resentfully when they have to put the ball out. Just stop. It's a farce. That's why I'm getting infuriated with the VAR thing. Oh, it's going to change the. You can't celebrate goals. Yeah, you'll still be able to celebrate goals and players will adapt like they adapted to yeah. the back pass rule that you'll get yourself back on side a bit more convincingly if you think that yeah. there's a, a chance that yeah. on video review you might have been a toe length offside. You'll just have to adapt the way you play the game. So Leeds, nothing wrong with what Click does. N- not to me, but yeah. then... yeah, not, But, no, what no, should, not but then me. after that happens, if you, were, if you were manager of Leeds, if you were Rory Bielsa... Mm sitting on your little bucket, would mm. you have said, morally, we've got to let them equalise because it was wrong. What we did was wrong. I can see why Bielsa did it and I think it's, it's to his enormous credit that he did it. But ultimately, no. They didn't, they didn't do anything. Leeds did nothing wrong. Villa ro- did wrong because they stopped. If we hadn't had the, the spy, first rule, yeah. If we hadn't had the Spygate stop. thing with Bielsa this season, would he have done the same thing? Do you think that's a yeah. baby thinking, hang on a minute, I've got to kind of redress the balance. Yeah, well, what, would, he have, would he have said, no, we'll take the 1-0? What he said about Spygate is that he didn't, he un- he understood that it's regarded as beyond the pale in this country, but to him it isn't. Yeah, and that's that. I think is a fair reflection. I, d- I don't think that was spin. He is famed for his sense of fair play and his. But kind because of, of that, was that affected slightly? This no, this I situation? Think so. I no. think I think in that situation he would always have mm. have said, "You let them straw." Yeah, the fracas after the incident mm-hmm. gave Bielsa and those on the touchline the opportunity to consider their options and perhaps think that. Yeah, I, I agree to the point that the the fault was with Villa for. Stop hesitating, don't stop. but with the op- opportunity to just take stock, you might have been able to see. Well, I can, I can, I can interpret why Villa thought that Leeds were stopping as well. The laziness of that pass, the seeming intent for it to go out of play. So perhaps the right thing to do here is just to, to level the score. Because obviously the Villa, Villa players were happy with the Leeds players. They weren't turning to the officials and saying, yeah, yeah. you've got to control. They were unhappy with it. So it was player to player, really, that they were unhappy with. So you think they've got to take out... I don't put the ball out of play. Don't remove do that. That whole debate from the players. If you want to, you can, but it's actually not. We don't no expect one, no you to. No one is expecting you to, okay. and you should not expect it to happen okay. in your favour. Uh, just in case you had any doubts about whether our uh, hashtag bans pre-show was authentic and not in any way contrived, there's proof. 
That was good, wasn't it? That Genuine was good conversation. Were we yeah. rolling? Completely yeah, yeah. wasted. Were we yeah. rolling? Completely wasted. This is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Uh, the food, you may well have just heard the uh, the beeping uh, of the oven to suggest, well, I'm heated up. Slam your lasagna in. Uh, so I'm going to. Lasagna is being prepared. I've, as I was preparing at 8 o'clock this morning, I got the impression that I might have done lasagna before. Have I done lasagna I before? So. If anybody listening can, uh, or is you know sweeping through the episodes and comes up uh, with a lasagna one, let us know because it's got to the point where on 128, I'm kind of forgetting what we've eaten. My main concern is that there are two cans of Pringles on the side in your kitchen and they seem to be unopened yeah. and Good nowhere point. near the table. Yeah, uh, I think you'll find I don't want the lasagna to be ruined because I was at eight o'clock this morning making it for you all. Um, joining me, Hugh Ferris. He got a Stephen George and then a Wyeth. He got an Andrew George, but then a Hinchcliffe. And he got a Roderick Sinclair, but then a Smith. You can get in touch via at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. This email comes from Michael Aridi. Aridi? Aridi. Michael, sorry for two out of those three. It's about avocados and abogados. Remember when we were told that avocado is derived from the Mexican Indian word for testicle? Mm. And Rory wondered about it sounding a lot like the Spanish word for lawyer. Well, in steps Michael. Dear Rory, Andy, and amongst others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a new listener who has recently binged all of your episodes as a result of a perfect storm of personal situations. A totally oh compulsive God. desire to talk football, a total lack of friends who can do so, and a total abundance of independent work time. So, hello. He's in prison. <laughs> I was going to say, has he been shipwrecked? <laughs> Allow me to... <laughs> provide Rory with an answer to his question through a question. Where, Rory, do you think the words testify and testimony come from? Oh, yes, they come from Latin. As the witness, story yeah. goes, Roman legal proceedings initially involved swearing on one's testicles. Perhaps the correlation is stronger than you had thought at the time when making that offhand comment. That, is, that is the best thing that's ever happened. I love him. And this is the best podcast in the history of the world. Swearing on your testicles. You don't, do you know what? You don't get that on the Totally Football Show or the Guardian <laughs> Football Weekly or the one that with the Independent where they did don't have not, the correct Did you not do this on balance. Saturday Morning Sav the other week? No. You're amazing how little Robbie Savage knows about Roman jurisprudence. <laughs> but then the, the oath that I would swear would have very different weights depending on... <laughs> Well, which way you, I go? If you're particularly sure of yourself, we maybe do, go for the heavier yeah, I think one. so, yeah. We, we don't need to go into detail with this, Jim. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next to our Ed in Buffalo. Remember Ed in Buffalo? Greetings, Hugh, Steve, the New York Times' Rory and Andy. Your recent discussion about a player's surroundings, you remember we had a conversation about whether it made any difference or not, and specifically the sights within a stadium, and even more specifically the advertising hoardings, maybe think of my favourite advert, and one I find it impossible to believe hasn't distracted a player or two. Uh, because Chinch, you said that players don't pay attention to those things. Sorry, They're I just on my phone. Zone. What were you saying? Oh, yes. Paying oh, sorry. attention. No, carry on. Uh, and the one that's suggested by Ed is the Vitality Insurance Dachshund. Yes. The first time I caught sight of this <laughs> yes, little mutt yeah. was naturally during a Bournemouth <laughs> match. However, since then, I've, been, I've, I've seen him running the length of many a pitch across England. Despite Andy's claims to the contrary, there is no way that a handful of players, athletes so in tune with their surroundings, the various spaces for which they are responsible, etc., have not been distracted by the sight of a dog apparently on the field of play. Rory also mentioned ads in a foreign language. I've often noticed uh, with those that the ad is held in Thai or Chinese for a few beats before then switching to English before rotating onto the next ad. 
Is the switch to English for anyone's benefit? Or is it merely there to assure viewers the ad isn't some nefarious communication to agents of espionage in the crowd or at home? Uh, best as always, Edward in Buffalo, New York, careening through Rochester on the road to Buffalo status. He's nearly there. Uh, uh, you know, these hoardings, I suppose people are in the kind of the, the front row seats. They, they're not angled so you can't see them from the pitch. You if see, you're a player, would you be able to see the, the dog I, I flying down the touchline think, think I'm going to play him in oh no, wait a minute that's a sausage dog <laughs> that is a pixelated sausage that's, dog yes yes that's not Alexis Sanchez hard to tell the difference these days no, anyway the, the pixelated sausage dog is moving oh, oh nice nice but can you can you see them Topic I don't know why I'm asking you because you've no idea no I think um, I think I think you must be able to see them from the pitch. They, they think, can't angle them in the, such a way that they're, they're totally. The closer you are, the harder it is. It's to like see. those. It's like those. Those. Is it the kind of the in crests? Oh, but they do it off the pitch as well. Yeah, if the, you go close to them on the ground, you can't see it. But the higher you go, it suddenly becomes yeah. what that, it is. That, that, I'm not, that is a specific painting at an angle. Exactly. To, yeah. to be seen only from a high angle and not from. But certainly for night games, if you have, if that's visible that to players, that must be yeah. real. Again, if you can see that, it must. Bournemouth fans, let yeah. us know. Have you been to a night game where somebody has passed? To the Bournemouth, Bournemouth players. Let Bournemouth. Us know. Maybe that's players why they dropped out. Josh Kearney, are you listening? Um, our subject today comes from a listener. Hello to Sadab Janab, who says this Gentlemen, what does he knows the club or he understands what the fans want mean? It's often heard when the case is being made for a former player to return as a manager, often to compensate for a lack of sufficient managerial experience or achievement. Is the objective of every manager not just to get their team playing enterprising football and winning games with the odd local player or academy graduate brought into the team? What else is there to know? Is this cliche just something peddled by ex-pros in the media to justify their positions by convincing the audience that they have some secret recipe insight when in fact it's just them championing their friends for a job and corroborated by lick-spittle journalists and broadcasters to show audiences that they get football despite not having played at a high level? All of that could have applied to Chinch. If it is referring to tangible things like knowing where the potholes are on the road to the training ground or the names of the long-serving Kitman's grandchildren, would an objectively good but club-ignorant manager not just learn these? What unique characteristics can there be to a football club or fan base in this era of homogeneity that could render a managerial candidate less likely to succeed without being a man of the club. An obvious example of a bad fit was Sam Allardyce at West Ham. The club supporters expected a positive style of football while Allardyce revelled in not yielding to this expectation. This was ultimately what caused his downfall at West Ham but also at Crystal Palace and Everton. Is this because he didn't know the club and Newcastle and uh, is this because he didn't know the clubs or because of uh, all his teams playing miserable football regardless of the fan base or the club's traditions. Many thanks, Sadab. So let's ask this question today. What is the value of being a club man? When Sheffield United were promoted yeah, to the Premier League, story, isn't it? Yeah. Chinch texted us, to let, texted us to let us know about an interview that manager Chris Wilder did uh, as a result of the Leeds goal that we were talking Leeds and yeah. Villa goals that we were talking about earlier. Uh, shortly afterwards, uh, with BBC Radio Sheffield, I think it was, mm-hmm. he was barely able to get through or even start. Such was his emotion. So clearly a man who'd spent two spells playing for the club and then led them from the depths of League One to the top flight felt the achievement a little bit more keenly. It was a ball boy, wasn't it, Bramall mm-hmm. A ball Wilder. boy too, going back that far. But yeah. is it a zero-sum game with club men? If they know the club, can they succeed at it? And if they don't, can they not? What is the value of being a club man? I wonder what happened to all the other ball boys when Chris Wilder was a ball boy. They're furious. He trampled over them to get where he needed to be. You think he did? Yeah, yeah. I spoke to Chris. I spoke to Chris after they uh, they beat Ipswich, so they were all but promoted. What he said to me is what it means to him. Being a fan of the club, a boyhood fan of the club, didn't change how he coached them. 
He was he's always been a very very good coach, and he probably he said that he has to feel he has to kind of distance himself in a way from being a fan to get the job done because he's a football coach. But it's what it means when you get success, promoted from League One, promoted to the Premier League. The emotions were because it's his club and what it means to him to have achieved this with his club. In many ways, maybe you need coaches who aren't affiliated to a club because you need to do a professional job. Like with Sam Allardyce, you need to do the job that's, that needs to be done. And if you get, if you are a fan of the club, do you feel, well, I've got to follow the traditions of play this style of football? That's not really what I feel would be successful. So it can be maybe, it can work two ways, can't it? If you're a fan of the club and you know what the traditions are, do you then get forced to coach and manage in a certain way and play in a certain way? If you're not associated with it, you can just go in there and do the job that you want to do. But Chris, Chris kind of is unusual because he is a, a really, the way that Sheffield United play, we've seen them play again mm. with these overlapping football, brilliant football that they play, Premier League football they've been playing for, for three seasons. It's just, it's aided and then the, the meaning to it when they are successful is so Billy Sharp the same as well. That's why they were so emotional when they achieved the promotions that they have. It didn't, it didn't make him coach or manage in a, in a different way. It just made him understand what it meant to all the fans because he's, again, you can't have a fan coaching or managing a club because you need to be a professional coach and manager and make tough decisions and do what is necessary to get where you need to be. So he's, he's kind of really unusual in being a, a real top-class coach who is a supporter of the club that he's had success yeah. with. Chris Wilder and Dean Smith at Aston Villa yeah, are yeah, examples yeah. of guys who have cut their teeth, have proved their worth elsewhere yeah. Wilder did brilliantly at Oxford got them out of the conference into the Football League I think and then he brought Northampton up through the divisions yes. yep. before getting the move to his boyhood club so he he had that wasn't just an emotional decision wasn't it? he no. had justified his reputation yes. as a coach was such that it was an appointment that was justified likewise with Dean Smith who did brilliantly at Brentford and got the opportunity to not to step up within you know not to step up a division but to step up. It started with Walsall then Brentford, so there's been like a, a definite process there. With so I suppose those examples are very much justifiable decisions from a boardroom level, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, where, where where is the difference when you give a job to somebody with an association with a club who hasn't demonstrated? their worth because no nobody could argue that no, no one could be surprised at the job that Chris Wilder has done because he's demonstrated his ability to do it but then with, with Solskjaer going into Man United at the time that he did okay is he I presume he's a fan well obviously association yeah. United is huge United were looking at Solskjaer again he was presumably just a stopgap at the time they didn't see him having the success he initially had was he put in place because the fans would, would accept because of what he'd done for the club whether it was the right decision in terms of a coach or a manager are we finding out now just how good a coach or manager he actually is? But at the time he was brought in, it was to do with his association previously with the club. I wonder if a lot of the time when we talk about a manager knowing the club as he's brought in, what we actually mean is that the club knows him. Okay. So the the stuff about kind of knowing the kit man's name and knowing your way to training and understanding that on Thursdays it's Taco, taco Thursday or whatever, I don't know. Or bin day. I mean, bin you've day. got to put your bins out on the right day. I think it's high protein shake Thursday. High protein <laughs> shake Thursday. Yeah. And you've got to know in, yeah. so, in, in, in areas what plastics you can recycle is that's different. Yeah. So that's Chris Wilder you know. is all over that. He's going to know, really he's gonna know in Sheffield yeah. whether you, you know the things that the fruit come in, whether or not you can recycle. The I hear the South Yorkshire bins are excellent. Oh, uh, yeah. The crucial right. thing from my experience of Bramall Lane is that Chris Wilder will, will know where to park at Bramall Lane, the hardest ground to park at in Britain. Amazingly. Really? But there's a big car park right outside the front door. And what did the car park used to be? 
Chinch is pointing at me aggressively. What did the car park at Bramall Lane used to be? Something to do with Rod Laver. It was to do with cricket. Bramall Lane is, I'm sure, one of the only venues that has, has played oh, a test match. match and, uh, and an England international football game? I think it is, yeah. yeah. But the car park was the old cricket pitch. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Chinch. there you go. You learn something every day from Chinch. Yeah, and there's a great picture as you go up towards the Ganshi. There's a, a picture of. Uh, it was only, I think Bramalim was only built in the 70s, so you think it's been there for really? 30. Yeah, yeah. It does have yeah. a terrifying gantry because you've, you've got to go really high and then yeah. basically walk over the roof to come there. No, no, back that's down. Everton. That's not. No. Well, Sheffield United, you've got to go up and then down. It's all again. internal now. Oh, is no, it changed? No, changed. Uh, this, is, this is like is, 10 years ago. Yeah, this, no, it's all this, this is been the out with the most <laughs> ridiculous Goodison is over the roof, Goodison, which is Goodison incredibly is right. Bramall Lane D- is one D- of the best, best is, places to watch The game I did at Bramall Lane was with Nookie Bear. With Graham Stewart? With Graham Stewart. To whom I said, oh, I'm friends with Andy Hinchcliffe. He reminded me that your nickname at Everton was Nookie Bear. Silence. For several on-air seconds. You probably would have been better working with the actual Nookie Bear. He's got more footballing insight. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, it was an what, what excellent were we, contributor. What were we talking about? So I, I think Solskjaer. there are advantages when a manager goes into a club of familiarity with with everything. Just in terms, there must be in terms of of how quickly they can get up to speed. What it doesn't do is give you any advantage whatsoever when when your managerial ability is tested. But what it does for the board and for the to an extent for the players, I guess, is say. This is someone who you all like to the fans. It, it buys you time, it buys you space. It and that buys was United thinking, breathe. was it? That was, yeah. United are a great example of it. That, that Solskjaer didn't know the club in any real sense because Manchester United, the club, has changed since mm-hmm. he, was at, he was a player there. It's a vastly different club. It's all, most of the, I can't imagine any of the staff are... All of the staff are the same. I would hope all the staff are not the same after, what, 13 years? Although they do have a tradition of having long-serving staff, but perhaps more than clubs that size would be yeah, used to. So there will be some people there, but the fact that you know the, the, a couple of the people serving dinner are the same... I think Leanne's still there. Yeah, Carry Leanne's on. still there. Kath is still there on yeah. reception because he brought mm. some Norwegian chocolates for Kath. The, so the, the fact that <laughs> there Croatian are still... Chocolates. Not Croatian, because that would have made no sense. Because <laughs> they're horrible. <laughs> So the, there must be some advantage to knowing that some, knowing some of the staff around the place, but I, it doesn't change how good a manager you are. But what it does is it buys the... It's a chance for the club to say, particularly to the fans, look, we know things haven't been going great, but this is someone who you like, so support them. Support them. And That's a reminder of the glory years as well, maybe? Can be, or just a, just a familiarity. And also the other thing is that fans really like the idea that there is a fan in charge, because for all that we, we all know that having a fan in charge is often the worst thing that can happen. For fans, it can be really re- reassuring to think, all right, this guy might be useless, but at least you know he's he's one of our own. He's trying trying his best. So I think from those, it's been, it's that the club knows them rather than they know the club. Do we we, we know that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a as a manager of Mulder, and if he hadn't have played for Manchester United, would not have got the Manchester United job. That was he didn't have a great time at Cardiff, did he? Didn't have a, you know no. he he was not qualified for that job in just his managerial yeah. uh, career. If, even if he had played to that extent, he probably wouldn't have got the job if he had played at another club. Do we think that Dean Smith would have got the Aston Villa job? And do we think that Chris Wilder would have got the Sheffield United job? Appreciate it was in League One at the time. Um, if they hadn't been former players or associated Dean, with they'd, the they'd club. Have, they'd have been in contention, yeah. I, I well, they were in contention. I, remember the, 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 I did the game, the last Brentford game against Leeds, actually, um, when there was talk of, I'm sure it was Thierry Henry yes, was mentioned as well, and I was, I was saying, Smith. hang on a minute, you've got to get the right man for the job. Of course, 
Dean had the association with Aston Villa of being a fan, but my, he was the best man for the job. He had done... So regardless, regardless if it had just been I, his I, record at Brentford, nothing to do with him, absolutely nothing to do with him being a Villa fan. It's the fact, same with Chris Wilder, a brilliant coach who had proved himself at Walsall and at Brentford and deserved the opportunity. If you're looking for a championship coach to take over your club in the championship, <clears throat> there was no one better than Dean. So I was really encouraged by the fact that he got the job, a look at the success, and he's a really good guy as well, and a very good coach. And... Yes, it's nice that you've got, and the fans might think, well, we've got one of our own in charge as well, but ultimately, it's the job that he does. And in many ways, Chris and Dean are under enormous pressure because they want success just as much as the fans do. And that can then maybe change your thinking and you don't do the job that you're there to do. You can lose yourself a little bit. So you have to admire it. It can complicate matters rather than make it easier. But it's not always rosy. You know, even Chris Wilder was linked with the West Brom job uh, towards the back end of uh, last season, even though... He seemed to be in the best job for him, seemed happy. It, there seemed to be a, a unity there. But I think it was when Alan Pardew got the, the boot at West Brom, he was really heavily linked with the step up from the championship to, to what was a Premier League club at that time. And there was some talk behind the scenes there that actually he had ambitions that perhaps couldn't quite be met by what was happening at Sheffield United, mm-hmm. even though he was a fan of the club. So it doesn't guarantee you stability and it doesn't, guarantee you longevity and it certainly doesn't guarantee you that sort of loyalty that 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 you might think that you're going to get in that situation now he did stay at Sheffield United and that has proved to be a great decision for him and the club because West Brom have come come down subsequently but it it, it does show that, that that even in what looked like a perfect marriage mm-hmm. That wasn't necessarily, you know, there, there could have been a sliding doors moment. But it's where Sheffield United go from here. They've got promoted. There's a bit of a takeover battle going on as well. Now, what are Sheffield United going to do? We saw what happened with Fulham. Brilliant team in the championship. Jukanovic goes, change all the players, look at where they are now. Chris Wilder, I feel, has, has done as much as he can possibly do. But will whoever takes over at the club, are they going to see Chris as the person that should be managing the team in the Premier League? Or do they think, right, thanks for the job that you've done. A bit like Neil Warnock. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll get somebody else a bigger name in to take the job on. And Chris, if, that, if there's any whiff of that, I guarantee you, whether he's a fan of the club or not, Chris will say, I'm not. If you don't, you don't feel I should be here. I'm not just. I'm not here because I'm a fan. I'm here because I'm a really good coach, and I can coach in the Premier League just as easy as the Championship. Will the owners, new owners, feel the same way, or do they need someone a bit more high profile? Because Chris has been overlooked in many. If you listen to him speak, people very quickly have not watched his team play. They get an idea of what he's like and think this guy can't. He's not a Premier League manager. Doesn't sound like one. Doesn't look like one. But we'll watch his team play and, and tactically he's as astute as anybody. But again, people can rush to, to judgment. Oh, he's just a fan of Sheffield United and things have gone well for him. That's that's really, really harsh. And the same probably true of, of Dean Smith as well. You've got to be really careful. And owners can fall into that trap as well and say, well, you're just a fan. A bit of good fortune has got you into this position. No, you have to look at football in football terms what they've done and what they've achieved and what they can do for you. But if Villa go up, will Dean Smith and Chris Wilder both be managing in the Premier League next season? I would hope so. But you just never know because they can be very easily discarded. I think being a fan's probably a drawback mm. to being a manager. All overall, I think pretty probably it's not. It makes your job harder, and I suspect it's not necessary. It makes it means everyone is second guessing everything all of the time because the board are thinking, is he doing that because he's a fan? Yeah, you're mm. thinking, am I doing that because I'm a fan? So if you take the, the example of Chris Wilder, he knows that club so well at every level. Ball boy, player, manager. That's brilliant. That means that he's part of the part of the kind of the DNA of the place. He's part of the history and all that. He he feels it so in, innately. 
does that hamstring you when you have to make really difficult decisions when you get promoted, when you've suddenly been given 100 million quid, and there's part of you that's thinking, this is brilliant, this is Sheffield United, in the Premier League, let's go and do this, this and this. But then there's another part of you that's thinking, well, the sensible thing actually to do is to kind of budget to go back down, which is the way that mm-hmm. I think certainly Burnley operate, and I think Huddersfield have operated as well. That w- Watford started Watford that, I remember, well. the mid-2000s. And you pocket the money, and then you you go back down, and you come back up because you've spent it wisely, and the second time you come up, you're better prepared, you can, you can kind of build for a more sustainable future. Like so basically do the opposite to what Fulham have done. Well, yeah. Wolves do not Wolves do are a good Fulham. example. You keep what's been really good about you, but you have to maybe look at... What do Wolves change? Maybe well, four players? Well, the, the Wolves are a bit up? of a weird example because they have the sort of... That they've got the faux sun backing, which which is unusual. They also did that thing where they built a team in the yes, championship they, they to, be, to be in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming into yeah. the Premier League, they kind of did this. Did, they sort of did a super version of Newcastle. Yeah. So Newcastle built a kind of championship all star eleven, but they didn't then throw it all away when they got promoted. No. They actually where Sheffield United. That's the interesting thing is to say, well, how much of that team will they keep? There's clearly going to have to be players bought because you're going to need a better standard. But I can't see that team that was in essence a League One team, as brilliant as it's been. Mm. But the, again, in this Premier League. Are they going to be a million miles away from staying up? They're certainly better than Cardiff and Huddersfield. If you look at the bottom Today, 14. Them. But you look, you look at Bournemouth, who were pretty, pretty much the kind of the, the midpoint of the bottom 14 team. Yeah. Bournemouth's defence defen- is basically still, apart from Nathan Ake, is the defence yeah. that they had in League One. Mm-hmm. So it, there, there is not that much. If you've got a good coach and you can be organised and drilled enough to, to maintain your shape against elite attackers... There is no reason why you can't take a lead one defence and have it. I mean, Bournemouth's defence is bad by the Premier League standard, but they're not they're not getting relegated. So there's no reason why that Sheffield United team can't come up and make that step up. Unless the honest, what, unless the honest thing, well, we've got a fan in charge, and also he's not had money to spend. It's a great success, but he's not really spent any money because we haven't had the money. Now that we do, does that then change the thinking? But does the fan aspect, the fan, he's a fan of the, does that? It ultimately it, change how owners might look at him and say, well, he's not, he's not a true coach because he's, he's still a fan. Does that still weigh heavy on owners? It's more that it complicates it for Wilder. Does he not only has to think, what is the best thing for me to do as manager of this club for this year and next year? He has to think, what do the fans want to do? Mm-hmm. What do I think as a fan? What do we need to do? What What's will go down well? well no, not even what, not, <laughs> nothing that cynical. Just, just what, is the, what if this kind of plays out badly and we spend this money but that's why you've got to put the distance and, yeah. between yeah. yourselves as a professional and a fan and he does that and that's why I believe he's had the success and Dean's had the success because they've been able to, to put that distance between yes I do of course I'm a fan but firstly I'm a coach or manager of this team that's why I agree with Rory about there being a disadvantage sometimes to being a fan in that situation because what is the tipping point between your professionalism and your reputation and what you've achieved and the fact that you are seen by the board, by the owners and by the supporters as one of their own and therefore your commitment should be unwavering whatever the circumstances. Uh, that was certainly, That's why I remember the West Bromlink in particular because I was at the game that they played on that day. Mm-hmm. It was as they were pushing for promotion the year before they've ultimately been promoted. I think they played Cardiff at home and it finished as a one-all draw but they looked like it was a game they should have won yeah. and didn't. So his emotions afterwards as I was having to ask him about being linked with another job was hang on a second, my team, my team has thrown away points. Not the team that I manage, the team I support has surrendered you know, points. Imagine the, the emotions I'm going through now and you're asking me about a job that I'm being linked with. It's a really difficult situation to be in. And I, 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 sort of, I understood that, but obviously it was the talking point from a, you know, from a, a national media sense anyway. So it, it was something that needed to be discussed. But yeah, he, he might find that that the, the, the owners would invest more money in a high-profile new coach because 
they would expect to get more. They'd expect to wring more out of a fan, wouldn't they? They'd expect his commitment to be such that he would yeah. dig a little bit deeper to find the solutions. You'll put up with this. Yeah. yeah. How, how much, though, do you think that being a fan of anyone survives within a professional football career? That's, I was about to say, is, is there someone across Europe over the years who's the archetypal fan of a club who's done really well for a longish period of time? Is there anyone that we can pick out? Because you look Chris Wilde, look at Dean Spence. But across in Italy, in Spain, is it the same kind of thing? Do you get, or are they just coaches? Even being a fan of the club just doesn't even come into the thinking. It's about what this guy can do. Being well, a fan is I mean, just... It associations even, are, are, yeah. are a, a, an influence, I imagine, in, in pretty much every decision. It's... It, you you have a pool of possible managerial appointments, for example. Some will, a few, a very few will have an association with the club. Others won't. If you think that they're all pretty much equally qualified, you are going to either in a way of convincing yourself or sending a message of positivity to the fans to help you connect, if you're a board or an owner, with that fan base. You're going to err on the side of the club man, aren't you? I was going to say, if we were we on the board benefit. of a club, the four of us were sat here and we had a list of candidates and three of them, or say say one of the six was a fan of the club, that we would that influence our thinking if it was a pretty close run race as to who we take on? Being a fan of I might that, be wrong, but I'm assuming that that weighs in the positive corner for that candidate. Okay. We, but if, only if you th- I think if you're thinking short term. Yeah. If you're like, we need a lift now. Yeah. We need an immediate show so is it the soul show need, the soul yeah, show yeah. effect yeah. is that the, is that always is that or has that been a bit demeaning the, there's been a lot of what what about with the soul show i think yeah he he was he initially i think everyone would accept he was bought in to see things through to the end of the season then did brilliantly beyond all expectations so pretty much 99 out of 100 people were saying give the guy the job now mm-hmm. give yourself some stability give yourself that opportunity to plan for next season and a lot of those people that are saying, give him the job now, are the same people saying, oh, that was a bit of an emotive decision. I'm not sure I'd have, I'd have made that. You were demanding that decision at the time. And now, you, now with the benefit of hindsight, you're to say, oh, I'm not sure that was the right thing to do. Yet, with the benefit of hindsight, was it the right thing to do? Only time will tell. Mm. But sometimes you, do, sometimes you do have to act on results. Yeah, the social thing is actually re- is really simple. That they, yeah, as Steve says, they gave it, they gave it to him to see it through. He did way, way better than anyone imagined. He did so well, you had to give him the job. They gave him the job and they now have to turn. So the, the, the fact that it's now been turned into kind of, it's another example of Edward Wood being an idiot. You think, well, yeah. no, it's not because they were 15th or wherever they were and he dropped them into Champions League contention. There was no way you could not give Solskjaer the job because what on earth would you be condemning his, his replacement to? But you don't win your first 12 games, then you're, a, you're yeah. not as good as the guy that they've needlessly sacked who was available for this job. There was, there was no other decision United could make. The and best example... In and I was just going to say, who was available was another factor in that. Zidane, back to Real Madrid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Poch- to, to, to go for Pochettino would have cost United 40-odd million in compensation as well as deciding this guy that had won 15 successive games wasn't the right man for the job. They were simply not going to make that decision. Because you get the United fans, I heard United fans say, I was saying all along, even when we're winning all those games that we should know, I knew this was going to... No, you didn't. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> 99% of United fans would have been saying, you've got to look at what he's done. And if it's a results-based business, then there is only one choice you yeah. make. You give him the job and go. I was saying throughout, they shouldn't give the job to Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. And ne- then they gave the job to Solskjaer and you think, yeah, they had no choice whatsoever. Because for all the idiots like me were saying, do not give the job to Solskjaer, he did. He managed to get 
this run of wins that made it impossible not to. The best example of a fan that I can think of. So, like Guardiola is a Barcelona fan, but that's what I mean. I don't think I don't think if you speak to Pep Guardiola, he'd necessarily define himself as a Barcelona fan anymore. I think. No, no I, I, uh, not, I don't think he's sort of support. You know, I don't think he's sitting cheering them on. I'm sure. I, he, I think he would. He would articulate it as being a Barcelona fan. I think he would. He would say that. But you, there, there comes a point where you cross over from being a fan of a club into being, and this is going to sound pejorative, and it's not meant to. A fan of yourself, so you support the team that you currently work for. So that or. As Michael Owen famously yeah. said, he disassociated himself from the team that he used to play for in order to support the team that he does play for now. So if you speak to, to players, the fury of Liverpool yeah. fans. And Chinch, Chinch is a bit of an outlier in a lot of things, so it maybe doesn't apply to him, but the a lot of players will look for their former club's results. A, before they look for their boyhood club's results, and B, in no kind of obvious order. So it's not like... Jermaine Genus said that, didn't he? He said he, he, he looked for his employer's yeah, he clubs, wants, he, almost as, as much as, if not more than. So Genus is a Forest fan who played Forest, briefly. Mm-hmm. Yes, he started at Forest. Yeah, started yeah. at Forest. Yeah. So, but Genus, if you talk to him, or if you listen to him, you'd probably think that he has a soft spot for Spurs, then Newcastle, yeah. then Forest. But he is a Forest fan, so I think there is a... As journalists, as much as as, as kind of any, anyone outside football, misunderstands the, the the way I think that fanhood works within football. So it's and not but both as a footballer and and in the media as well, because this is something we spoke about in our media series. That when you you might be a diehard fan of a particular team, but then when you start to cover different teams, you start to learn about the people within those clubs, and you identify with them yeah, you kind of emotionally them well, as yeah. friends and as colleagues, and you want them to do well. And that might be a club that you used to hate as a kid, but it's those personal relationships that that determine which clubs you like and that can be completely transient so if that's completely transient for for us who are not playing for that club and our happiness is directly related in terms of money and success to that club then you can understand it must be the same for players and if not you know much much more so it would would really surprise me if Chris Wilder is still a Sheffield United fan in the sense that he was when he was a kid because I mean not leaving aside the fact that as an adult you generally he's aged quite a lot since he was a kid yeah yeah, but so he's probably mellowed and changed along the way. You would have thought, but no, but you don't know, think he's wearing shorts and a uh, and going to school. <laughs> <laughs> what a Christmas party look that would be, though. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like the the the, it would surprise me if Chris Wilder still feels that support for Sheffield United as as intensely as you do when you are a child, because none of us do true. really. True, and. I think I, it I, might burn a little bit brighter for him it seems than it to, would yeah. for most. I, I, this, I agree with the general the, the point. The Radio Sheffield interview where he's crying, and it isn't. Yeah. It, it genuinely, I don't know whether it's a drink, but it, it's the emotion of it. I've I've never heard. So clearly, there's still yeah, but he's still not ten years old, is he? No. So he's going to. He's been through an awful lot. As so well. I think that so, that yeah, helps when you when you're a fan that you come in, you have the association that the, that everyone around the club thinks they have got the best interest of this club at heart. But there is a part of you because you've been in football for so long. Does you not? They're not just plucking fans out of the crowd to be manager most of the time. That your fandom is not the kind of puritanical fundamentalist fandom that those of us on the outside experience. It's it's been changed and mellowed and kind of affected by lots of different experiences. So Chris Wilder will will be part of Chris Wilder that that was a Northampton fan for quite a long time because that's who he worked for and I'm sure he still wants them to do well. But also in that position you are not living vicariously through your team, you are directly affecting it. You have agency and so if you have control over something, you are 
I imagine your your emotions mellow because you are living it through your own experiences rather than hoping, you know, yeah. being disappointed. You've got the being responsibility happy. of, of yeah. exactly. not ruining Fa- the fans club. Fans cannot yeah. directly affect yeah. anything, so therefore their emotional uh, the, the emotional element of supporting club is massively increased. I never got onto my best example of of a European fan, which is George Jesus, the Portuguese coach who was in charge of Benfica for a long time. Won, I think won four straight titles at Benfica. Steve will know. And then left. <laughs> I would have known at the time, but it's long since been pushed out of my mind by a useless piece of the Game look on of Thrones Steve's face trivia. tells me <laughs> he, he's not completely sure about that, but carry on. The <laughs> insight. But Jesus then left Benfica. I don't remember if he left directly or whether he, he left Benfica, took a year and then went to Sporting because that was his dad's club. I think that was the story that he took over at Sporting because he, his dad had always wanted him to coach Sporting. And... I'm going to check, but Sporting Lisbon being Sporting Lisbon, I'm pretty sure he got sacked. (laughs) (laughs) You check that. Meanwhile, we will have a conversation to flip the coin. What if you are not a club man and you therefore do not either identify with the traditions of the club and that becomes painfully clear? For example, as uh, Sadab said, um, Sam Allardyce and a plethora of clubs. Um, Is that to your detriment? If being a fan isn't necessarily always to your advantage... If not being is not being a club man to your detriment. Does does then it become because with the clubs that Sam was in charge of, West Ham and Everton, there's pretty clear whether whether the playing traditions of those clubs should still be applied today. West Ham is this type of footballing club. Everton is whether that carries any weight these days as well. But when you come in, say from the outside, if they're not a fan of the club, if they're if they're a professional coach and manager and they come in to take over a team. Sam clearly has his way of doing it. He does not, as long as he gets results, and he was brought in at Everton to keep them up, basically, because they had such a tough time. He didn't care. I, I watched them play, and it was it was awful, but effective and successful. And he did the job he was brought in to do. Everton fans absolutely hated it. But then, I suppose, is that what you throw at someone who isn't connected to your club? Is, well, you're not following the traditions. If so it, is that a stick to beat you with? And by if, saying, you don't know what this club is all about. We Back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, but this is 2019. If, if so Sam Allardyce that, had that, played does that still apply? for 20 years for Everton, mm. are you telling me that he would come in and be a different manager? Again, it's whether he his style of football managers or coaches tend to have a style of football. If Chris Wilder leaves Sheffield United, would he take that style of football to the next club that he's at. Only in time we will find out whether that's okay or was it just specific to Sheffield United. But with Sam, we know his style of football. You know what you get when he goes there. So and he's, like he's worked it out from success. He's worked like Sean Dyche. I've worked out a way of giving up me the best chance of winning. So this is what I do. And it's worked for me over the years. So I'm going to stick with that regardless of the club. And is that to be applauded? That's what he was brought in to do. Sam said, you bring me in to do the job you need me to do. I'm going to do it. And this is how I do it. I'm not going to worry about the, the traditions of the club. But should he worry about the traditions? So it's almost like Sam Allardyce isn't the best example because he, regardless of whether he'd played for that club or knew about the club's tradition, he has such a think make style any of to football him? that he, he would he would supplant that on, on, on any club. So is there Which an is occasion why... where a, there is a positive to being not a, p- a person yes. associated with the club because it allows you to disassociate yourself from the emotion and you do a better job. Yes, absolutely. So the problem with Allardyce is that he has such a, a fixed idea of his own football and is such a relentless promoter of his own football that in all the, at all those clubs, he basically went to war with their history That because their history didn't... His football wasn't part of their history and he, he basically thought their history was ridiculous for not not approving of his football. Yeah, but he wasn't brought in for it to be a contest. He was brought in, say, at Everton to do the job. And he was brought in specifically to keep them up. And they felt he was the best man with a horrible style of football to do the job that Everton needed. Now that he's left and things have moved on, things have started to improve. 
no one at Everton talks about Sam Allardyce anymore, but the job he was brought in to do, he did. And that's, he had no, he can't say, I'm not here to compete and, and, and go against the school of science with my brand of football. It's not a competition. I've been brought in for a short period of time to get the job done. I've done it and I'm off and, and Everton stay up and move forward with someone else. But the, he's so unapologetic about yeah. it. I think that's the thing that riles supporters. If you should he apologise? Well, no, no, but you shouldn't be so belligerent in a way where you're effectively saying to supporters who have invested their entire lives following the club and have certain expectations, even if those are false expectations of what they want to see the club achieve and how they want to see them achieve it, is not to just go in and say, sorry, everybody, you're wrong, I'm right, this is how we're going to do it. You have to have at least an awareness, a, a little bit more sympathetic towards the the mood, the prevailing mood of those who follow the club, who are associated with the club, even if you are able to take a more realistic approach, is be a little bit more sensitive. But if you're on the brink of, like Everton were, they brought Ronald Koeman in, they, had this, they wanted to play this passing great they signed so many number 10s it was ridiculous so they, they were kind of Koeman in a way was trying to connect with Everton's past mm. in terms of the football that they played they were on the they were in big trouble on the brink of relegation why would why would they bring Sam in to, to, to do the job they were in big trouble they weren't on the brink of relegation they, they, were, in, they were in big the way that, have you seen them play they yes. were in big trouble they weren't going to get relegated easy to say now because Sam went in there and did a terrific job <laughs> in keeping them up but well, I was I was critical yes of the start but again in terms of the job that was needed at that time Everton simply could not afford to get relegated because of the moving grounds the money they'd invested in the players so again if you if you want to stick with the traditions of the club bring somebody in but, but they had might actually say, for 11 years actually, would you rather so go down sticking to the traditions of your club than, than someone coming in and, and actually and saving and you so the, and David Moyes obviously was criticised for his football and eventually yeah. so kind of led to a part of the ways because they realised it wasn't going to but that, he wouldn't be considered Everton no, Everton he, would be he, considered that the, the, well, the, the school this, of science Everton has this no Everton has this dual identity doesn't it it's the school of science and it's the Dodgers of war and that's the problem that all Everton managers have that they still modern, steal. modern modern Everton managers have is going if they if you go too far into one the fans understandably this isn't criticism of Everton fans sort of think well actually what about the other bit so Roberto Martinez's teams were all a bit too stool of science Koeman's teams were trying uh, to play yeah, too much yeah. th- there wasn't enough dodges of mild peril <laughs> yes so yeah. the Chihuahua of destinies yes the, that's me yep the, the, I mean, the other example is people like like Benitez at Newcastle is not playing football in the Keegan mould. They're not playing kind of gung-ho attacking football. But Newcastle fans have accepted that because Benitez, unlike Allardyce, is respectful of their history. He explains to them why they're doing what they're doing. It is a, it is a, a kind of re- reality that he says to them, this is how we have to play with the players we've got. He offers them the, the belief, and it may not be true, that if he had better players, they might play in a more kind of expansive style. Because he's, he... He tells them that you know football doesn't have to be this one way. This is not my one vision. The problem that Allardyce has, wherever he goes, is that he says this is the way I do it. This is the correct way to do it. You are wrong to want me to do it any other way. What you did in the past is irrelevant. And for as long as I'm here, we will do it this way. Or yes. he suck it up, lads. Or he says, "What do you mean we're not playing nice football?" Yes, he, he challenges it, and he and what he do you mean? Brings statistical we, evidence to support the fact he's not playing long balls. I think you'll find that we've played the thirteenth fewest long balls from the set, the left-footed centre back of all teams in the Danish Premier League this season. <laughs> and and this, as Chinch will tell you, long balls aren't always long balls. No, so long passes. So he 
Allardyce creates this tension with the fans, and he's done it so often. I don't have anything against Allardyce, but he does it everywhere. He's done it basically everywhere he's gone apart from Bolton. And whenever you talk about Sam Allardyce, lots and basically on Twitter, Sam Allardyce is the, is the is the golden subject. Just everyone hates Sam Allardyce, except for Bolton fans who understandably worship him. So, with all due respect to Bolton fans. The rest of us hate Sam Allardyce. But Sam, <laughs> Sam is a firefighter. His, his role now is to go in and He's save clubs. Become a firefighter. And he won't be given a job for to say, you, you, uh, you instill your brand his, of football on this club from day one and take us forward. Because That's his brand anymore. of football is repulsive. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he, he says that if he was is a Real Madrid manager... In, in the modern game, has yes. it always been repulsive? But, no, no, it's, repu- it's, it's, it's always been uh, repulsive, Ron. It's always been, un, un, been unappealing. It is now unpalatable or unatta- un, untenable in the modern game because... Fans are paying so much money for tickets that they have a right if they're not going to win anything, and basically, no, none, none of those other fourteen clubs are ever going to win anything yeah. ever again. Yeah. They have a right to be entertained. So and where does Sean Dyche fit in this with his his brand of football then? Because what's the difference between Sean Dyche and, and Sam Allardyce in terms? Because of the difference is that Sean Dyche has a history of it, of, of a history of achievement with Burnley that the people at Burnley appreciate. Mm-hmm. Dyche, there, I think there are more attractive elements to Dyche's football than Allardyce I also think his football is more capable of change than okay. Allardyce mm-hmm. and also because Burnley fans for the moment accept that that is how they get to be a Premier League and club so and Sean, compete with if the if Sean teams. left Burnley he wouldn't necessarily play that I way with another club but Allardyce will take his, his style of football too Sam Allardyce by the way yeah. says that he would change his style of football if he had different players in different circumstances but he has said that in all the different players in all the different circumstances yes he's had. exactly so okay. he, he gave Real Madrid as, a, as an example and that perhaps is never going to happen so we're never going to know and Sean Dyche has become a club man he has become a Burnley man at, at Bolton yeah. Sam Allardyce was um, lauded and praised correctly, but that was because he became a Bolton man, which had, which gave him the leeway and gives Sean Dyche the leeway because um, obviously Sam Allardyce played also for for Bolton, so that was understandable. So these people have become club men, even if they are um, playing the kind of football that would go against the now the cultural professional football uh, norms. But we're going down a bit of a Sam Allardyce bolt hole, so let's try and. But it's about expectation, yes. And and that's that's it. And you can even extend it as far as someone like Jose Mourinho. Well, if Jose Mourinho, when he was at Inter, was overachieving with the group of players that he had, so his methods just that you know means, met- yeah, methods yeah, justify the means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you're at Manchester United and United are under underperforming, but you're sticking to those methods, then questions are going to be asked. And quite often, like. Um, People in their teenage years with girlfriends, what you do after one dumps you, you go for the exact opposite. And that's what football clubs tend to do Speaking as well. Speaking of experience here, Hugh, or? Yeah, dumped so many times. Never my decision. The, the, the teenage version of being No one sad. likes trumpets. No one really. that genuinely. My life was so sad, that was the only thing going for So what, did you, did you just hover around waiting for like cool, tough guys to get dumped and then present <laughs> yes. yourself as the alternative? Look at me, oh. I couldn't be more different. <laughs> Ladies. Oh, I'm doing you a favour. Four weeks later, that, see ya. But that's the case. The, the, the move from Jose Mourinho to, to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was essentially a dumped teenager, boy or girl, going for something completely the opposite in order to try and Was that right part of the their ship. thinking? Was that part of their thinking? Yes, it's, almost really? no, it's, the, same, it's, it's the same instinct. Hang on, it's, you it's want to go for they... something completely different if the previous thing hasn't worked. No, hang on. So in this parallel, it's the equivalent of going from the the sort of stormy relationship with the sort of tempestuous Latin lover. Yes. To someone that your mum knows. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There A librarian. The comfortable, no, but it's the comfortable but, but, but familiar because he's been, he was there like 20 years before. So someone who used to live in your house. <laughs> I don't know. It's, 
This is a weird parallel. You shouldn't have made know. this parallel. You did make it kind of weird towards the end there. But no. you go for the it's familiar. someone that your mum knows. If after the 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 the, t- the tough guy, your you, you go you go for <laughs> the soft guy. That's how that's how things work. Is that's this, how things work. Why Just because you all three were very successful with the ladies, Chinch has had two wives. He must be successful. Yeah, exactly. He's, yeah. So far. <laughs> Uh, before we go, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. Uh, if only to end that parallel, uh, because it was something of a cul-de-sac. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days. A lot of behaviour and live away details removed. And after this, lasagna. I, I'm a bit, I'm getting a bit worried about my, my memory. <laughs> You're because getting worried. Because we've done, I've done, how many, how many episodes have we done? A lot of soccer stories. And you mm. keep presuming that I'm going to be able to keep churning them out. But I, we trust you. What, what's, what's worried me was... Um, Recently, someone started to chat to me about um, a Forest Man City game. Now, when I say Forest Man City game, was there an incident in a Forest Man City game which is was fairly noteworthy? This was in 1990, the 3rd of March. A famous incident. Well, this is before this is before football was created. Then this How dates back to very this dare is like pre Premier League. Forest Man City. Forest against Manchester City. Gary Crosby. Does that this doesn't ring Andy Dibble? Oh yes, yes. I know what you're. T- yes, do you know what I'm talking about. I do. Rory, I'm surprised you you don't know what I'm talking about. Steve, any idea what this I hazard is, a guess? Uh, Dibble's about to take a goal kick. He's about to take a drop kick out of his hand. Yes, oh, and Crosby, Crosby knocks the ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now someone started talking to me about this game and about how incredible Andy Dibble's got the ball in one hand, ready to kick it upfield. Gary Crosby's been shepherded off the pitch. He's made his way back on behind Andy Dibble, and then sneaks around, heads the ball off his palm, puts it in the net. The goal stands. There's fury. So this guy's talking to me about this. I'm saying, yeah, it was incredible. That wasn't it. He said, uh, how did it feel at the time? I said, uh, no idea. He said, well, you should do because you were playing. <laughs> what? And I said, I was playing. And he said, yeah, you, you, you're in that, you're in that team. And I said, no, 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 no. This was just before I went to Everton. Third of March, I left there for Everton in, in the summer. And I said, no, I, I would something as, as noteworthy as that. That's not happened too many times in my career. It, it can't have been me. Go on the internet and check, and lo and behold, <laughs> and I went back and watched the incident, and there, there I am. And isn't that slightly worrying? When yes. which I know you don't remember it, Roy, but that's quite. It's quite a big thing. A lot of people will, will have probably watched it and, and remember I, it. I, I know the incident. I don't remember it happening. Myself. So then I thought, well, this is this is a worry because this is quite. A, so then I thought, wait a minute, all these goals that I thought I'd scored when I'd scored them, there was a penalty that I scored at, at Middlesbrough. The, and I saw the I saw the date and I saw the game. We won two 0 Tony Grant scored. I scored a penalty. I thought that can't have been me. I don't have any recollection of it whatsoever. So again, I have to go on the internet and check it all out. And you know, clearly it's me. It's not just the name and number that give it away. The the positive swagger and the composed penalty finish. It's clearly me. <laughs> but again, I can't. I have no recollection. How can you forget? The, isn't that isn't that a bit of a worry? Yes. Again, in terms of future <laughs> soccer stories and my yes. mental health. Because how do you? you know, I only scored twenty odd goals. I, I do remember. Well, you a don't few remember of them. how many you scored because you just said twenty so odd. Twenty odd. Yeah. But again, I remember a few and one that I missed, and I, I do remember a few of these penalties. But that, that are you, are you just, sure you were a professional footballer? It, again, do you think it's a, I'm just living? It's just a dream. All this. Well, this podcast isn't it's a bloody nightmare. But anyway, it's a worry. A major incident like the Gary Crosby thing. Don't even remember being there. But you do remember Gary Crosby. Uh. He was a right winger, wasn't he? Didn't I he have to Bill mark him? Cosby. What? So Gary? Yeah, he was a. 
he was a right winger, but for some reason on this occasion, he, he went off on the right back area. And I was obviously on the left. So I you thought, that then? Someone said to me, I was the man that shepherded him out of play. As Andy Dibble collected the cross, I kind of I thought, well, clearly, it doesn't sound like me doing a thorough <laughs> defensive job. But it was actually the right back, whoever it was on that. I was playing. But then all the furore and all the complaints of the referee. I'm in none of the pictures complaining. Because you I'm probably thinking about a, probably a Chinese takeaway. <laughs> That's where my problem started. But you, I'm worried you're only that 21. You're about, when did you get married in that year? You got 21, married in 1919, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, Maybe I you're did. thinking about the wedding plans. Oh, my God. But No, I don't think I was. But it's a real worry. And now I've had to go back. I'm going to have to watch all the goals back. and think The one at Middlesbrough. He looks a really good player. Like, Who the hell's that? Oh, it's me. Really strange. Really, I have no recollection of it whatsoever. So this is a worry. If you expect me to come up with another hundred soccer stories, yep. and I don't remember things like the Gary Crosby incident, and people need to have a look at this because it is hilarious. Andy Dibble's reaction is hilarious of the ball, but he doesn't know what to appeal for. Because there is no, there's yeah. nothing, there is nothing. He's not, he's not he's got both hands. It's clearly These not days somebody do a TV box. In the air, of, you can see him. Yes, you can see him going referee. Referee, or referee's gone, yes. Um, something's happened there. But there was no, and that's why the goal clearly stood. But then they, I think they changed the. Are you still allowed to. The keeper's got it in one hand. Is he in full control of the ball? Can you now I these days. I don't think you'd be allowed to hand? do that now. If I saw one very recently in the Bundesliga where a striker just happened to be stood near the goalkeeper when he cleared the ball, it, it won't be allowed. But I, it's, kick, yeah. it's the worry of not remembering something as, as, and then the goals I scored, which if I was Alan Shearer, you might forget the odd goal that you scored I bet scored, Shearer remembers every single you one you can't do but I, I'm just a bit concerned that maybe I have to do some brain training exercises to get me back on track because it is a bit of a worry if that you're hoping for another hundred that would soccer be stories although you can help Chinch out by sending in your own soccer store if you'd like to menu at gmail.com or some brain training exercises some brain training exercises good apps for, for Chinch's brain which is clearly going into a very a lot dark of place said, do you remember that that was great and I think that wasn't even I played in a game I didn't even remember it I'll tell you what what about what about incidents in his career that Chinch has been involved with but forgotten. Mm. Be a, that's that's the trouble. We might as well forget soccer stories and just have a whole load of things where people remind <laughs> me of stuff that I've forgotten. Did I win the World Cup? Could, could we not Could we not con- construct for Chinch like an entirely different alternative career path? Let's try this. Yeah. Like chinch so- memories where would a young from you. Ch- where, if I, what, again, young going back, chinch. how would I do in modern football? Wouldn't it be interesting to see... Oh, the injuries don't help, clearly. But if I was a 17-year-old footballing prodigy, prodigy yeah. which, you know, let's, let's, come on, yeah. let's not mess around. That's what I was. Uh, imagine that player, would, would, where, would he, where would he sit today? Walsall. Let's write it, <laughs> not Walsall. Walsall have a decent left-back, to be fair. Uh, where would I... Oh, is it that, that kid who keeps getting linked with moves, Rico Henry? No, he's at Brentford. No. Was he not at Walsall? Yes, Dean Smith. Dean Smith talking. Okay. I had him at Walsall. Again, Dean Smith. Yeah. Clearly knew what he was doing there. And a lot of Brentford players will probably end up at Aston Villa. Right. That's, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I think will happen anyway. Uh, so there we go. Sorry, there have I go. gone on too long? Yes. But anyway. Massive right. tangent. And Sorry. S- slight enthusiasm drain at the end there. Set Sorry. Menu at gmail.com. If you've got either your own soccer story or indeed memories that we can help uh, replace Chinch's actual memories with, you can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thanks to Rory, Andy and Steve and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Will you remember? What? Will you remember? Who are you? Thank what? you. Actually, coming up next week, because it's the end of the Premier League title race, uh, our second annual edition of the Premier League season just happened, Soccer Hot Takes and Takeaways.
oh, takeaways. Did, did, did we do a? Did we do an SPM PMPL? And PL, the PL, results PL. of the SPM PLPL. We haven't, also made, we haven't plugged that as much this year as we did last year. There's no benefit because it. it was there's such no, a there's big no, hit. There's no financial benefit, so you know. You don't. You need yeah, to, but people are keen. You don't need to people sell. People keep asking me about it in the street. <laughs> in the street, they do. Really? Yeah. SPM PLPL results. We will crown the winner on next week's episode. Is that more or less prestigious? Would you say than the Premier League title? More. Yeah. More? More. It's harder to predict. <laughs> it's harder to predict. Who's, who's asked you in the street? Seriously. No one has. Gary Crosby. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Gary Crosby. Gar- he rings a bell. <laughs> Gary Crosby. This is like total recall. Crosby still...